Welcome to Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people at Summit Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. We gather each week in the heart of St. Paul on historic Summit Avenue, where our mission is to create rhythm, opportunity, and location where people like you can have life-changing experiences with God. Our podcast is one of those locations. As followers of Christ, we are doing our best to be on mission, disciple others, deliver hope, and champion this city. At any point in your journey with us today, if you want to take a next step or you just want to stay in the loop with everything going on at Summit, just grab your phone and simply text the phrase, be known, all one word, be known to the number 651-360-2908. We will send you a short form that makes it super easy for you to complete. There's always new opportunities to mention and new ways that you can get involved. One of the rhythms that is important to following Jesus and important to us at Summit is studying scripture. As we study the Bible, we can have one, hope, two, find guidance, three, be corrected, and four, receive truth into our lives. Listen in and lean in with us wherever you are, open up God's word, and hear this week's message. Let's, um, let's talk about this. Um, Real quick, I got a couple words for you. Uh, steaks, good old steaks, ribeyes, T-bones, porterhouse, moldy raspberries. Trust me, as soon as you buy a packet of raspberries, they're moldy before you get to the checkout. I'm not wrong. And last word, the car keys. Let's talk about siblings. My sister, Stephanie, we used to fight about all kinds of stuff. I don't know if you have a brother or sister that you were always in competition with, but I was in competition with her. And she was formidable competition at many things. We um, fought like cats and dogs for a while. Um, not I guess I don't really understand where that saying comes from because my cats and dogs get along fine. But there was this sibling rivalry that we just had, and I want to look at just a brief story here about some sibling rivalry that happened at the, like way back at the beginning, really, of time. Uh, open your Bibles to Genesis 4. Genesis 4, 1 through 16, I will read it for you, and then we will dive into this. The story of Cain and Abel. Adam was with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, Abel kept the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. If you do what is right, God says, will you not be accepted? But if you not do what is right, sin is crouching at your heart's door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, 
Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood, it cries out to me from the ground. Now you, Cain, are under a curse and driven from the ground, which it opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. You are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer the vengeance 70 or seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God, as we look to your word uh, this week, Help us to examine our life through the lens of not what we've been taught, not what we've assumed, not what we've been wrongly taught. But God, let us peel back all of the layers of our heart and look at the heart behind our offering. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at two messages over the course of this month and next month that will be just highlighted. Uh, This first message is just going to be simply the heart behind the offering. There will be another message in November, and it will be gospel patrons. I believe that the gospel needs patrons. Uh, And so before we get into this topic of money, I just want to tell you a couple things before we dive into this message. Everyone has told me not to preach this message. You're not supposed to preach this message until you've been a pastor of a church for at least three years says the statisticians and people out there in the world. Not that I don't respect their opinion, I just have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, I think this church needs this message for a couple reasons. Some of you need to be healed from the past, and some of you actually need to be helped into the future. And so I say this uh, before we do with a couple caveats. Those of you that are guests, this might be new. Those of you that are here, this isn't a word of condemnation. This is just a simple reality. I have been your pastor leading this church with many other great people alongside helping me uh, for almost two years now. And what a ride we've had. But I've not been paid to do that. That is not a condemnation against this church. That's just a simple reality that I'm not speaking to you today about money so that you can sow so I can reap. This is something nuanced that doesn't make it wrong in other places, but it just needs to be highlighted in the space that we are here today. I also want you to know that I've had my own baggage about money in the church. I grew up with the guy on TV that told me if I sent him $6.33 from Matthew 6.33, he would send me this little prayer cloth anointed with the tears of angels, and I would wave it over any baseball card, and it would be a number 57 Mickey Mantle rookie instantly, magically 
I mean, the reality is I've got my own baggage about money. Maybe you do too. But the reality here today is something we get to decide to either carry that luggage or leave it at the foot of the cross. The only way I can do this is just to simply give you what the word teaches, not what baggage you possess. The other thing I'll say is um, since October of 2020, I've never devoted a message to this subject. I've never highlighted this. Never explicitly took time to talk about this. But I've noticed something. Some of you are suffering underneath money as an idol, not as a tool. And I want you to be free. Truly, before the staff and the board that is here, I have no idea what you give. I don't ask that question. I don't go into the financial records. I don't know if you give a dollar or zero or 10,000. I actually don't care. You're not a means to the end. You're the mission. You might ask me, why are you even doing this? Some are. Pastor, you're going to talk about money today. Well, I'll just simply say Jesus, of the 11 of his 36 or excuse me, 38 parallels, they were about money. Just quick math, that's 29% of his message centered around, I think, the largest idols of our hearts in the American church. So this is not about money. Do you want to know what this is about? This is the clarity in the statement. Some of you might be following Christ while picking his pockets. And the gospel needs patrons, not just beneficiaries. The heart behind the offering. Let's get to Cain and Abel. Why did God reject cable, uh, Abel's or cables? Why should we just cut the cable and, <laughs> no. Why did God reject Abel's and accept or excuse me, reject Cain's and accept Abel's. Why? Sometimes we have our preconceived notion that because Abel brought stakes, they actually mattered more. Well, let me ask you a question. What's your profession? What is your profession? What was your profession? What do you do as a job that brings increase? I want to know the question. Are you unemployed? Well, then the government brings your increase. Taxpayers are bringing your increase. It's not a condemnation. That's just the truth. If you're collecting money from unemployment, someone's paying that increase. What about if you have a job that God's blessed you with and you hate it? Well, just remember, there are a lot of people that just wish they had a job. And I know kids in India that make bricks for a dollar a month so you can get up in the morning and get to work. The truth is, I would just simply say, what is your profession? Are you a college kid? Are you in that season where you're going to have a profession? Are you retired and you had a profession and now you're here in this beautiful season of life? What is it? You gotta answer that question because if you can answer that question, you whether you're retired, you're an engineer, or you're a nurse, it's important to know that the offering was based upon their professions. It had nothing to do with the fact that Abel offered meat and Cain offered vegetables. That's something that, is really important to note. 
It's important that the offering was based on their professions, and Abel worked the flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And you might have a preference when you read this story, but the answer that you have to answer to is what is your profession and where does your increase come from? Because you have it. The offering was supposed to be the best of the first fruits. It had to do with the heart behind the offering. Aphel offered his first and best. Cain offered what he had chosen to, but it certainly wasn't his first. It certainly wasn't his best. So what is in your heart when it comes to your offering? Let's look at Abel's offering first. Genesis 4.4. Abel brought the fat portions of the uh, flock. He brought the best steaks, ribeyes, good old fatty steak. If I came in here with a bunch of T-bones and handed them out, how many of you would raise your hand right now? You'd be like, give me one of them T-bones. Put your hand up. I used to be a server at Ruth Chris Steakhouse in college, downtown Minneapolis. Got mugged twice going to work. Point is, and that was in 1998, I would like serve the steak, right, or be a food runner, and these people would order these $150 steaks, and they would not be able to eat them all. So I'd bring it back to the kitchen, and I'd be cutting those suckers off, dog bagging that out like a boss. I never ate so good. I walked around my dorm room just handing out people's old steak and I was like Father Abraham and I had many sons, trust me. <laughs> now let's look at Cain's offering. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits in the soil as an offering to the Lord. So he was Robbing God out of his greed, he withheld the best crops. It was based on his provision. And Cain got angry and he got discouraged. And we can see the dissonance here. And Cain said, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God said this to him. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Now, the truth is, is if I walked in here with like a beautiful salad from crisp and green with a side of jicama, Did I say that word right? Jicama? I can never get that right. I'm at the restaurant. Can I get a gyro and jicama, please? They're like, what do you want? Jicama and gyros, gyros, euros. Anyways, moving on. This is the very first place post-fall in the Bible that there was a command to give an offering back. Everybody tracking with me? You've got the creation of the world. You've got Adam and Eve, you've got the fall, then you've got their two sons, and early in human history here, way at the beginning of this whole thing, there are a clear division between what is acceptable, what is not, but regardless of Cain's Abel, or Abel's offering, the reality is, is there was a portion that had to be returned. Are you tracking with that? From the profession from the increase, there was a portion that had to be returned. Now, some would argue that this is the first time the Bible mentions tithe. I 100% disagree, and it's not even close. I will die on that. This is not a mention of a tithe. Tithe is a word that means 10%. It's a portion, yes, but this is a portion, and we don't know what the portion is. So when the word of God is silent, I choose not to speak. We don't know what that was. He 
did require the first fruits of the increase. He required the first portion from whatever profession gave that, that portion. Does that make sense? So what increase is he referring to? What increase is God referring to here with them? Their payday, their gain. What's your payday? Your financial movement. When you are added to in the financial category, what is it? Your past prevention, your increase in interest income, your harvest income, your winnings, your settlements. Who's the dude or the lady in California that won the Powerball for like billion whatever? And how come they can't come to Summit? I'm just asking questions. What's my point? What is your increase? What's your payday? How are you being added to? How were you added to? Does everybody have that in their mind? He requires the first of our increase. This is before your bills, before you pay your taxes, before Netflix, before my wild season tickets, which I have, before a shopping spree, before you're scrolling on Instagram, and pretty soon you bought a flashlight that the Navy SEALs also use. Before all that, before you vacation, the first. If he's not first in that area of your life, then I want you to know that you are in process and I have been there. Part of the reason why I'm here as your pastor not taking a salary for an agreed time between me and the Lord is because God is removing the idol of money from my heart. I choose to serve him, not mammon. If he is not first in that area of your life, you have another God sitting on that throne. And you just need to know that. Car keys. Anybody got their car keys? Like handy? Mike, throw them here. These are Mike's car keys. You got, is it, you got your Prius today? Great gas mileage. Whose car is it? Whose car is it? Okay, you're sort of learning quicker than I thought. It's Mike's car, right? That's our initial answer. Who's got the keys? Me. So do I own the car? Who gave Mike the car? Joan. Hello. I don't know where you think I was going with this, but that's his wife's car. Now, what am I saying to you is, is just this simple truth. When God gives you increase from your profession, I want you to know this. You hear me when I say this and write this down on your hearts. You do not give the first increase. You do not pay the first increase. You simply return the increase because it isn't yours. You don't pay it. You don't even give it. You return it. A promise is there. And Malachi 3, now this is also a promise of the coming Messiah. This is a rebuke to the Jews for the corrupting God's ordinances, robbing him of what he was due. You can find it in Malachi 3. I will read it 
for you. Malachi 3, verse 6. I love this first statement. I wrestle with this so much. He just says straight up, God, in his word, for I, the Lord, do not change. I am thankful for that. Because on any given day of the week, I wrestle the Eric that my flesh wants me to be, and I wrestle the Eric that I know the Spirit wants me to be, and I can change on a dime. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, children of Jacob are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you've turned aside. My statutes have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. How will we return, you ask? Well, that's a good question. How will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. And this is where we get this word tithe. You are cursed with the curse, for you're robbing me and the whole nation of you. Bring to me a full tithe into the storehouse. Okay, into the storehouse here in context and scripture. Can I ask you just a quick question? What do you think that storehouse is here now in the New Testament? The local church. The very thing the gates of hell will not prevail against. The light that this city needs in St. Paul. You're not here by accident. We're not here by accident. We're on mission to bring heaven to earth. Bring it into the storehouse. I love this right here. And put me to the test so that there may be food in my house. You know, one of the things that I absolutely love about Teresa's swam, she's here, and her family, and Tracy, and even Pastor Isaac, and Kim that's helped, and every single one of you that have helped keep this mission family room and this ministry that God dropped into Summit's lap with the swam family that ministers to... Um, uh, foster families and orphan kids and refugees. We are serving over 20 families a month that don't have anything. They come down and they come to Summit, random hours, and everybody who's working down there knows this and working into this knows this. They walk out of here with groceries, with food, with clothing, with a smile, with runny mascara, with tears, with like, I don't even know what just happened, but a blessing blom just blew up and I got shrapnel all over me. It's amazing to watch, really. So that, why? I will open the windows of heaven so there will be no more need. Scripture continues. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that they will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine in your field. Then all the nations will call you blessed. You'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I just want to answer three brief questions when it comes to the word money. Number one. This is a question I'm wrestling with, and I hope you wrestle with it too. Number one, for I, the Lord, do not change. How, if God doesn't change, and that was his perspective with Cain and Abel on their profession and their increase and the portion that was to be returned, then how does that impact our increase in our professions now? Question number two. God says, test me with money. 
This is the only place in Scripture God says, test me. In fact, Jesus says about in the temptation of Christ, do not put the Lord God to test. It's interesting to me to see these two run in parallel and ask the question, have I tested him in the wrong place or am I choosing not to trust him with my money? This is a question for me. This other portion of scripture, I love how this word, uh, how, how the prophet wrote this. I will rebuke the devourer. What does the devourer do? Devours. You leave a pizza on the counter at my house, there are three, sometimes four, devourers that will show up. Number one is Xavier, my oldest. Number two is Xander. Number three is Zeta, my daughter. She'll have a slice. And then if there's no one in the kitchen, my cane corso, the Italian mastiff, Vita, jumps up onto the counter like a quarter horse and eats the pizza off the counter. If there is a devourer, then can I just simply ask this question? Is your increase from your profession, is it safe if you are not giving the increase? These are questions for me. I'm going to give you five excuses that people use when not to give the first of our increase. And notice, I haven't even said the word tithe. Five excuses why people don't sow into the local church. Five excuses why they don't trust God with their money. Five excuses why they're just happy living with the devourer in their kitchen. Number one, Pastor Eric, the portion of increase or tithe, that's straight up old school, Old Testament, doesn't apply. I'm in the new covenant, baby. Okay, you just read from Malachi chapter three, bruh. That's O-T, I'm N-T, like N-T right, new school. Better get with it, what we do. What it do, sorry, I'm more learning. Just, Tracy, we know I'm white, just relax. I know too, okay? Don't need anyone to tell me what it do. To that, I'll say this. If you think it's old covenant, it doesn't apply, let me just simply say the giving of your increase or your first fruits, get the word tithe out of your head for a second, it actually predated the law by thousands of years. It actually is before the law, the Mosaic law, the one you're referencing, it's actually before that even was scribed into stone on Mount Sinai. It predates that. So it is actually not Old Covenant, it's actually before the Old Covenant. Tithing is not after the law. All right, if it's not old covenant, buddy, then giving an increase or literally returning back to God, yeah, it's just it's it's not in uh, it's not after the law. It's 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 a uh, it's not even in the new covenant, bruh. But if you're going to use the the law as an excuse, and then it's not in the old covenant, but it's not in the new covenant, or it's old covenant, and it might be new covenant, you need to understand something. The new covenant that you're referencing, it's actually more extreme. The 
old covenant says don't murder, but Jesus says if you had hatred towards your brother, you already killed him. The old covenant says don't commit adultery. Jesus said you even look at that woman, you've already committed it in your heart. The old covenant says return a tenth or a tithe. Jesus tells the rich young ruler, why don't you give everything and follow me? Jesus says to his disciples, if somebody asks you for a coat, give him your shirt. If you have two tunics and someone needs a tunic, what are you doing with two tunics? The same would be true for your pastor on Pastor Appreciation Sunday if you have two motorcycles. Just saying. (laughs) Gotta ride that iron horse. Jesus told the religious leaders that they should tithe. In the New Covenant, go to your Bibles or write this down and go to your Bibles later if you'd like. Matthew 23, 23, okay? Are you ready? I'm gonna read it for you. He's rebuking the Pharisees. I'm gonna do this slow because you gotta grab this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe, you give a tenth of your mint and dill and cumin. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal because you go down to Trader Joe's and you can get mint, dill, cumin for $3.99. But in the ancient word, or world, those spices, those were hard to come by. You tithe some of your profession of your increase of mint, dill, and cumin. You're doing that, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus says this, Hear me when I say this. Jesus says this. You ought to have done tithe without neglecting the others. What you do with your first fruits and your service in the new covenant matters. You do both. Jesus rebuked ones that were just tithing and not actually bringing heaven to earth. And the same is true if we're just bringing heaven to earth and not sowing on earth with our increase. Number three, Pastor Eric, got news for you. I'm a self-made empire. I'm a bootstrapper. I did this myself. I started my business and now it's my business. You know what I'm saying? Some of you tracking, I'm just trying to make light of this because this is such a horrible subject. I'm a self-made empire, and the reality is some of you are. Some of you have a job. Some of you own the job. Some of you are the job. Like, you're a lot of work. You call me every week. Mark Hagen, my gosh. Paying for you, bro, totally. No, Mark's my friend. I can say that. Um, But my point is, is you built your own wealth. And in Mark's case, he actually has a DJ business. And he's had great stints of, of success. And great seasons, I would say, of drought. But it's his business. He built it. Well, I got a scripture for all of you that built your business. Deuteronomy 8. God is the one that gives power to give wealth. He may establish his covenant, which he swears to you until this day. Who do you think gave you that power to start that business? You? Who do, you think, who, who, who do you think puts breath in your lungs? You? How 
I think we got to wake up and realize we need a new pulpit. I'm moving on. It's perfect. Listen, when you roll with the gun show, all right, it's, it's not, it is not rated for this kind of beef in the kitchen. This is awesome. I love this. This is a sign like in Narnia when the rock broke. Um, can I just say, as all of us that are bootstrappers and you go for it, the only reason you have wealth is because God allows you to. He blesses you with it so you can be a blessing to others. It's about flow. And some of you, I'm just going to say this straight up as clear as I can. Don't take this the wrong way, but take this how I mean it. If you claim to be a mature follower of Christ and you're telling me that God is blessing your business and, and you don't pay uh, or return, uh, you don't give or return uh, the increase of your first fruits to the Lord, uh, we can be friends and you can certainly be a member and, uh, excuse me, a, a, a attender of this church. Um, but I'll just simply say, I don't want your counsel or your business financial advice for me. Don't talk to me about it. Not interested in what you have to say because you're walking in disobedience. And I'm not trying to say that cruel. I'm just telling you, if you've got a business and you're building an empire and you're not returning a portion of your increase, then I don't care about your business. I care about you and the fact that there's a devourer. I care about having that conversation, but I don't want your business advice on how to grow the church and how to raise money and all those things. I'm just going to be real clear with that. I also don't want a gift from you in the form of money. Do not give me money that you have not first given an increase to the Lord. I believe your money has a paper trail that I do not want to be a part of. That's as clear as I can say it. But if you are going to give me money today at pastor appreciation in the basement and you have not given the Lord the increase first, then you come get that money out of my hand. Because I don't want it. When numbers get bigger, I've noticed people's faith gets smaller. Number four. Pastor Eric, I don't give an increase because we can't afford to. Well, some of the reason why you can't afford to give an increase is because, now this is just a situation I've encountered, and I'm happy to talk about this with any married couple, but... I don't subscribe to his checking account and her checking account. If you want my pastoral advice, you are building a life and kids and a ministry and a future together, then you need to be united in your finances. Because what happens when one pays one and the other pays the other? Resentment sneaks in. He pays for the rent and she goes, gets her nails did. And on and on it goes. I'll just simply say, one of the reasons you can't afford to sow a portion of your increase is because you have not decided as a marital couple, as a unit, the two becoming one, to become one in the area of your money. And I would encourage you to have counsel and to really ask the question, 
should we operate like that? The reason why you can't afford to sow the increase is just simply some of you have a devourer. If you prioritize him first, I believe God redeems the rest. It's certainly been true in my own life. He can do way more with your 90%, if you want to do the math on the word tithe and what it means, than you can do with 100. Some of you make plenty of money. I don't know what you make, I don't know what you give, but you make plenty of money. And the reason why it goes through your hand like sand and you live check to check is because there is a devourer that's eating it alive. Sometimes that's the kingdom of hell and sometimes that's the kingdom of you. I don't know how else I can say this to God's people other than just to simply lay this out here for you. I'm not trying to be offensive. I just want the best for you. Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Excuse number five. Pastor Eric, I get it. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the covenant, Jesus talked about, okay, I get it. I already give 10%. I already give 10%, man. I don't need to listen to this stupid message. Okay, well, who told you it's 10%? Who told you that the portion of your increase should be 10%? What did Jesus give? It's way more than the minimum. He gave it all. And I want us to be a people of generosity. So if you are there at the 10% and you're already there, you check the box, can I ask you a question? Can you ask and can you plan and can you sacrifice? Can you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, not some number that you do the math on? 2 Corinthians 9 says this, each one of you should decide, this is the closest thing I can give to you in New Testament giving, each one of you should decide in your heart what you are to give, not out of regret or compulsion. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. For God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give your 10% cheerfully, then you probably should stop. And I know that's not something I should say from the pulpit. When we're talking about budgets and, and bills and all the things that make this whole thing happen in St. Paul. But the reality is if you can do it, then, then continue to be cheerful because I guarantee you the number is bigger than 10%. I'm asking you to simply just ask the question, is it because this is what I've been told by man or what the Holy Spirit has whispered into my heart? Maybe 10% is a place you could start rather than end. And generosity to the kingdom of God might just require a different number. I'm going to read you a letter and I'm going to close. And this is going to be a little bit of a history of Summit Church. I know we're going to eat in a minute. But I'll be honest, I'm, I'm hungry. Does anybody want the first bite of the apple? The first bite of the apple is the best. You get to pick where you're going to eat it, right? Looks good. There's not a worm. There's not a bruise. In 1927, Charles Price had revival meetings in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
it was this time that Mr. and Mrs. Rents were saved among a whole bunch of other people. So these families that got saved in 1927, they started to go to Minneapolis Gospel Tabernacle. Uh, they wanted their church home. There was no Pentecostal churches in St. Paul, so they had to drive over to Minneapolis. Five years later, in 1932, they started a church in St. Paul. Pastor Lindquist and a bunch of their board members were from St. Paul, so they started meeting at a church building that was owned by Plymouth Congregational Church. It's been vacant for a number of years and a whole bunch of repairs needed to happen. The sanctuary had a seating capacity of 800, but the annex could accommodate 200 or 50 more. The congregation named their church St. Paul Gospel Tabernacle. All kinds of clearing to be done. There was litter and junk and vandalism everywhere. But the first service was in 1932. What's the date today? 2023? Do the math. Oh, a big bite. A young man by the name of Faith, Robert Lewis, came from Minneapolis to be the first janitor. Times were pretty tough, so he lived in the previous church office. It was a good size, and he was able to keep warm. 1933, Reverend Martin Miller was called to be the pastor. During the 1930s, the McAllisters, they were brought in from Bismarck, North Dakota, to be the janitor and work in the print shop that the church actually owned in the basement. They would print fellowship tidings, flyers, tracts, things for other churches and for the newspaper. There were many prayer meetings, some day, some nighttime. During a financial crisis, Emery Peterson, I'm going to say his name again, Emery Peterson, thank God for Emery Peterson and people like him. He mortgaged his home to keep things going at the church. And they did. In 1934, the church was incorporated. The Robins, brothers and sisters, they came from Sodak to work in the print shop. They would boil their clothes in a tub in a washroom that was also a Sunday school room so they could get them clean. In the summertime, Bats provided a problem in the church. They'd have to stop the service to fight the bats. The women were frightened by the bats. If the coffee is cold, I don't ever want to hear it. People be fighting bats to get to church. The next pastor, Pastor Boyles, he remained till 1939. Church services were held regularly on Sundays, Tuesdays, Bible studies. They were normally held during the winter months in homes 
because it took a great deal to fuel the church's heat. 1936, Maddie Howard, she started her campaign because she was a gangster who had been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. There were services every month. They'd go till midnight or 1 a.m. Yeah. I'm convicted by this when I look at my clock and go, it's almost noon. It was decided to have a wedding. And so they scrubbed and cleaned, not only for that wedding, but for the first service in this sanctuary. The organ was refurbished, and at that time, 1936, was valued at 15 grand. A new furnace was installed. Stella Good, um, Goodish taught the boys Sunday school. A pastor actually gave his car so he could br- bring people to church. My kids went to camp in my car. I had to vacuum that out three times. On January 10th, 1937, the temperature was 15 degrees below zero, and there was 49 people in Sunday school, and it wasn't canceled. There was a great financial need in the church. So Mrs. Boyle's Sunday school class, a group of single young working women knew about the problem, so they prayed and worked hard to give $1,000 that was due or the church would face bankruptcy. That single act saved the church. 1937, neighbors of the church didn't care for the meetings of the church, so on the hot evenings, boys of the neighborhood would throw overripe cantaloupes through the windows. Ruby was one of the recipients of a lot of cantaloupe juice, which soiled her white pantsuit, end of coat. While they're having service and annex, uh, they uh, all knelt down to pray. Unknown to the church, the church was filling up with deadly coal gas. As they're praying, many folks fainted and laid out on the floor. And we didn't realize, and some thought it was they were under the power of the Holy Spirit because they were making these groans and some felt sickly and went outside for fresh air. Upon coming back into the annex, they realized what the problem was. So all the windows were opened and people started getting revived. And they had awful headaches. I found it so interesting to me and so profound that the windows and the doors were opened and then people were revived. See, us in here is fine, but us out there is dangerous. 1939, an annual church business um, happened and it lasted until midnight and problems in the church were worked out that night. In the fall of 1939, Christ's ambassadors had a powwow in, Saint, in South St. Paul at Hidden Falls on the Mississippi. A Halloween party for Christ's ambassadors was, was held at Emory Peterson's house. Many came to faith. During the winter, the youth would go ice skating at the fairgrounds. Wesley, Gregorius, and Hule Wold would get up at 3.30 every Sunday morning and go to the church to start a fire in the furnace. Later, Wes would go do his paper route 
and come back and shovel snow and salt the walks and then home for breakfast and then dressed to attend Sunday school. Sheesh. A large group would go out singing every Sunday afternoon at this hospital now known as St. Paul Ramsey Hospital. And the Ramsey County Nursing Home on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, as they were singing, they heard over the radio that Pearl Harbor was bombed. And immediately the group stopped and went to prayer. During 1942, many of the young men of the church were called into service. Many had gone away, and we had parties for them. 1944, Reverend Miller became the pastor. The church needed repairs. Reverend Miller began teaching at NCBC and pastoring got to be too involved, and so he became the full-time Bible teacher. When I was in college, I lived in Miller Hall. The Sunday school busing program started in 1949. In 1952, the fire department not was notified that the St. Paul Gospel Temple was on fire. The building was completely destroyed, a complete loss. The organ was destroyed. Our church felt the leading of this time to seek the Lord and to pray. After 1952, after the fire destroyed the entire church, we started to gather at the Seventh-day Adventist church at the corner of Ashland and McCubbin? McCubbin. Sorry. Until the new facility was built at Victoria and Summit. The church board began looking for that land, and they found it there. The Gospel Temple, a church had begun over on Grotto Street. To avoid that confusion, St. Paul Gospel Temple was changed to Summit Avenue Assembly of God. Fourteen years from 1949 to 1963, Reverend Whitus was our pastor. Reverend Dresselhaus, in 1963, who had been assistant pastor, became the pastor. Due to the continued growth, the board had decided to sell the parsonage. A new parsonage was purposed and purchased. A deaf ministry began in our church by Carol Vetter and Sue Demet. The deaf group kept growing, but they needed more space. So in 1968, they started their own church at the Highland Park Church for the Deaf. In 1970, Kenneth Swanson became our pastor. Calvin and Gaylene lived in the parsonage on Allen Avenue. During that time, Chuck Skaggs was on staff as our youth pastor. His wife, Myrna, which many of you know, played the piano. Pastor Swanson in 1977, and then Pastor Seven in 1977, Pastor Edmund Tedeschi. I could continue, but the church that you sit in, the church that God continues to bless is filled with cheerful givers. People that have sowed into the things that actually matter. People. The local church. This church. Not just a church. His church. And each one of you need to walk out of this service and decide in your heart what you are to give. And if you have not trusted God with the increase from your profession, 
I would encourage you to do as Cain had an opportunity to do. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And this isn't a voice of condemnation. This is just a simple question for you to ask the Holy Spirit to begin to align your priorities, to begin to return the God of the universe your increase. Because I believe Satan has been crouching at many of your doors. He's been letting him in. He's devouring your financial future. And it's hurting the mission that we're on together. And this, this is just simply what you've been giving God. Not the first bite of the apple, but the core. God, I just ask that you would raise up in this house people with the heart of the offering. That we would invest first into the kingdom of God through the increase that you have given to us in the kingdom of humanity. I pray, Lord, for the people that are here, your people that are sensitive to this subject, that are riddled with hurt from this subject. I pray that Summit and your people and our transparency and our mission and all the things we're doing in this season would be like a, a beautiful cup of water to their soul. And you would rescue them too from the idolatry of their hurt. Lord, I pray for those that are here that have been putting up an excuse for whatever reason that you would just continue to work in them for a reason. For the families that have not entrusted their increase of their portion. Lord, I pray that they would not look at this in any other way other than obedience to you as they follow you on their way. I pray for the ones that are faithful to the number that they have been sacrificially giving. I pray, Lord, that they would continue to ask to plan and to sacrifice. Let their offering not be measured with a scale, but let it be measured with a thermometer. And let it be white hot before you. I thank you for the people that have gone before us that I mentioned by name. I thank you for their faithfulness in every area of their life. And some of the areas that you're still working in. God, I thank you for raising up a generation that had the right heart behind the increase. And they just simply returned, not paid, not gave, returned to you what is yours. Let us be that kind of people with our treasure, with our time, with our talents, with our task and our temple. Speak to us. Let us be a radical people of generosity. You give it all. And we'll take. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. To help you apply the truth found in Scripture, we always like to ask three questions. What did you learn about God? What did you learn about yourself? How are you going to apply what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Scripture to your life? We hope that helps bring clarity for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life in the Valley, the podcast of the people of Summit Church. Join us in person sometime as we gather as a church on Summit Avenue. 
or join us here at our podcast again or virtually at our online encounter each week. Before you go, though, Pastor Eric is going to give you a special invitation and share just part of his heart for you, the culture, and a little bit about the people of Summit Church. Hi, Pastor Eric Samuel Tim here. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Let me first say, our city of St. Paul is absolutely amazing. I encourage you to explore all the history it has to offer. And you need to know this, Summit Church has been a part of that history, along with so many amazing churches. Speaking specifically about the people of Summit, well, we've been gathering here since about 1932. And my hope that this would not just be a rich history, but it would be our forward legacy. History is a thing of the past, but legacy makes way for the future. So where are we going? That's a good question. Our vision is simple, to see all people of St. Paul and beyond living as disciples of Christ, people full of hope, fully known, and actively loving one another, living a spirit-led life. Our mission is also simple, to provide rhythm, location, and opportunity where you can have a life-changing experience with God. Journey within the diversity to do these three things, become disciples of Jesus, to deliver hope, and to champion this city. That is where we are going. That is what we're doing. So where are you going? Maybe that's a good question for you. What are your next steps? I would encourage you to join one of our monthly expeditions. The expedition is a simple experience where you can find out more about who you are in Christ, who Summit Church is, what are we doing around here, and how you can play a part. It's less than a two-hour commitment for your whole month. We also feed you some amazing food and even provide childcare. So the question is, where will we go? Maybe we're on a journey following Jesus together. And I got a hunch, we just might not be us without you. We'll see you at the summit where we prepare for life in the valley.